0: this is teachers talk radio and you are listening live
1: good morning and welcome to the saturday breakfast show where we are doing personal and professional development part two we are talking mindset we are talking transferable skills we are talking everything that we should be doing now that february is coming to a close to make ourselves better people and so better teachers Good morning from Gloucestershire on this Saturday, the 17th of February, 2024. Um, Before we get started today, I just want to say a big, big thank you to everybody who listened to, uh, listened back to, gave me feedback on last week's show about my process of interviewing. Um, I've had lots of really positive comments from lots of teachers. Um, who have been reflecting on their own interview process lately, thinking about what they've been doing in their interviews, what they've been doing well, what they've been doing poorly. And that's kind of what we're all about here um, on the Saturday Morning Breakfast Show. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I am not here to tell you how you should be practicing in, in any area of your life. I'm just here to share what I think, to share hopefully what other teachers think, and and to kind of help you to to make up your own minds about certain things. You know, I was trained as a social constructivist, as a teacher. So back in the day, you know, I did a B.Ed. My lecturers wrote all the books on social constructivism. So that's what we were were trained to do. Um, And that's all about the creation of knowledge, the co-creation of knowledge by sharing different experiences with each other. That's what I bring to the classroom, and that's what I try and bring to the show. That's why I think Teachers Talk Radio is so important um, every single week, because we do all um, have our own knowledge, our own experiences to share, and we are all here for all kinds of different reasons. So again, if you have listened to last week's show um, and you have sent me some feedback on it, thank you so much. I'm I'm, I'm glad that you took away from it what you did. If you haven't listened to last week's show yet, um, it is proving to be quite popular, so please do go back and give it a listen, particularly if you are thinking of interviewing, particularly if you've got interviews coming up. Um, It seems to be a good one to at least get you thinking about your own practice. As a bit of a follow up, I will tell you that um, I got the rejection from one of the jobs that I applied for, which has made me wonder actually whether I had any rights telling you <laughs> about my interview process. But then I think you know, a a rejection is still a success because I still went through the interview, I still sold myself in the way that that we have to these days. You know, I, I did all of the right things but there are better people suited to that job and that's not a bad thing and that's not a failure because what that means is i've kind of been saved the um the difficulty of figuring out how to adapt myself how to adapt my own practice to make me fit to that school and i've saved the school the hassle Of training me of having to to mold me to make me fit to their ethos so I think for me that was a really important lesson and that's something to keep in mind is that getting a knockback getting a rejection particularly if you are in a privileged position like I am right now where I actually don't need a new job you know I have a job I'm very happy at my school Um, you know it's it's all good I am just looking to see what is out there Um, if you if you're in that position, then you, you can just walk away and go, do you know what? That's absolutely fine. That is absolutely fine. I was not the right fit and I'm not going to be the right fit for every school. And for me, that's really important. Um, again, it was one of my foci last week when I was doing the interviews, you know, what are my values as a teacher? What is my ethos as a teacher and does this school that I'm interviewing in, do these schools that I'm interviewing in, do they align with that? Because if they do, excellent, we're all going to be much happier. And if they do not, then it probably is best not to work for them. Because um, it's going to save us all a lot of hassle um, if I don't. And again, there is nothing wrong with that. You know, different schools do have different values. It's why the, the core values of a school Um, are always plastered over the front page of the website. And they might all seem the same. They might sound fairly generic, because they do. But they do tell you a lot about what the school is like. And you do have to make sure that your school is um, aligned to what you want to do, where you want your career to go, and that you are aligned to what the school wants to do, to its mission statement. Not all teachers need to be able to teach everywhere, and that's okay. And I think that's really important. Now, of course, if you are not in the privileged position that I am, and you are interviewing because you need a job, you you don't have one right now for whatever reason, um, and I completely understand that maybe you can't afford to be so picky. But an interesting question that I saw posed on Twitter earlier in the week is, with fewer people going into teaching, actually, can we afford to be more picky? Because we may or may not have the positions of power. So that's something to think about as you go into your interviews. But do be discerning. When you are looking at adverts, when you are looking for a job, think very carefully about what it is you want. Think very carefully about what it is you, you need to do. What is it you need to get out of your career other than the paycheck? Because as we talked about last week, teaching is not a career that you go into for the pay. So yeah, Once again, thank you very much to all of you who have listened to and fed back on last week's show. Um, I've I've really enjoyed hearing your stories and I've really enjoyed um, seeing how my thoughts have prompted you to reflect on your own. With that in mind, if you do want to get in touch, please do. If you are listening live via the Podbean app, you can text me uh, you can text in to the show, you can text me. If you are listening live elsewhere or you are listening on playback, you can tweet me. I am at Mr. D. Lester. That's M-R-D-L-E-S-T-E-R. That's all one word. Because as I always say, the things that I choose to talk about on the show are my perennial interests. Um, I didn't realise I had so many interests, um, basically enough to do a new show every week or every couple of weeks, but apparently I do. So I will always want to engage with you, I will always want to chat to you about this stuff. Now I've said that and the irony is this in fact is not a new topic. Um, This is a show that I have been kind of planning to do uh, since the beginning of January because this is the second part to the personal and professional development show that we did right back at the beginning of the year. I keep, I've got a little folder on my desktop that's called Teachers Talk Radio. Um, I know, very imaginative. But my desktop is a mess, so I need everything to be labelled very clearly so that I know where to find it. And in this folder, I keep all of my PowerPoints for the shows. Um, And I I title them by the date of the show that they're going to be. I don't know why you need to know that. Just a little behind the scenes, you know, the, the wicked trailer dropped during the Super Bowl. Um, on Sunday, so we're we're looking behind the curtain um, at the man who is pretending to be the wizard. Um, so I have all of my powerpoints. They are they are named by date of the show and topic of the show, and then if I don't get all the way through one, you know, if I've gone off on a tangent and and as friends of the show know, that is something we do here while we're having breakfast, we go off on tangents, we're all friends, we chat. Um, Then the plan is always to just make a note of which slide I got up to, and then pick up again the next week, You know, do a part two. So when we did personal and professional development, PPD, right back at the beginning of the year when we were thinking about um, New Year's resolutions and all of that sort of thing, I got about halfway through. And so I made a note, you know, pick this up next week, and I renamed and redated my PowerPoint. Um, But then I had an idea for a different show. And then I had an idea for a different show. And then I had an idea for a different show. And then I was interviewing, so I thought, oh, I'll talk about that on the show. And uh, we are now, I don't know how many weeks later, like four weeks, five weeks later, and I finally, finally put a halt on all of my ideas and said, no, we're gonna do PPD part two. And I'm gonna pretend that this was always the plan, okay? Cause I'm gonna justify why we're doing it now. It is the 17th of February. We are over halfway through February, even with a 29 uh, day month. We've got only one full week of the month left. And by now, most of us will have given up on our new year's resolutions. If you haven't, congratulations, you know, well done, keep going, keep at it, but I am going to wager that the vast majority of us who made them have kind of let them fall by the wayside by now. This week was also the beginning of Lent, so the 14th uh, was Ash Wednesday, and this is a time traditionally when, of course, Christians will begin to fast things, so any of my listeners who are Of the Christian faith you may have given something up for Lent but where I am in England we are a culturally Christian country and people tend to give something up for Lent even if they are not particularly religious so lots of people you know religious or not will have given something up this month or will have given something up this week Um, and and they will try fasting that they will try having given that up through until Easter Sunday So we're kind of thinking right now about giving things up, giving up resolutions, giving up chocolate or alcohol or whatever it might be. Um, And I thought, okay, this is probably then a good time for us to check in with each other and with ourselves about what we can pick up, what we can take up, what we can do in order to get better. You know like i said right back in in part one and if you haven't listened to part one of um of ppd then please do not right now you know you can you can listen to this show live without having heard that first part it's fine but maybe when we're done here go back and give that one a listen um just to give yourself a little bit of context but we're going to think about changes we can make again positive changes that we can make now that we are a decent portion into 2024 some good stuff that we can do for ourselves in order to make the year better Um, because I don't know about you but as I've said a couple of times on the show so far 2024 has not got off to a great start it's been fine it's been okay not been wonderful but, you know, we've just had Lunar New Year, so it is always time for a fresh start. And that is what we are going to be thinking
2: about today. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
3: Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the EatonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio news.
4: We have featured the issue of overseas students applying to UK universities a number of times on Teachers Talk Radio News. This year's application figures have recently been released. An analysis by the BBC shows the numbers are up for the second year in a row. The latest data shows over 115,000 students from outside the UK have applied, up almost 1,000 on last year. The rise comes despite tougher government rules to help reduce migration. It also follows accusations that universities have lowered standards to recruit overseas students, who can be charged more than students from the UK. Despite the rise, the number remains below pre-pandemic levels. UCAS Chief Executive Dr Joe Saxton said UK applications have also risen in recent years. However. Vivian Stern, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said the figures did not tell the whole story, as applications do not always translate into enrolments. She said that any future fall in enrolments could make it more difficult for universities to offer places to home students due to the financial impact. Ms Stern went on to explain that UK universities may be less appealing to overseas students due to policy changes around bringing family competition from universities in the US and Australia, and unhelpful government rhetoric. Full details of the story can be found on the BBC News website. The Mathematical Association's Twitter feed draws attention to changes announced by government on maths and English condition of funding for 16 to 19-year-old learners. The changes, which can be found on the government website, include minimum teaching hours for full-time students Saying that there should be three hours per week for English and four hours per week for maths, it also states this should be standalone whole class in-person teaching. The extra hour reflects the existing expectation should be prioritized to ensure students receive a standard number of taught hours. Compliance will be measured for the academic year twenty twenty five to twenty six Full details of the impact on funding and other changes can be found on www.gov.uk. The post on Twitter did prompt renewed concerns about maths teacher recruitment and timetabling issues. FE Week also featured a story on the changes, calling them unworkable and a backward step. Wales Online features a story about languages teaching and qualifications, but not in the way you might expect. Whilst the Welsh National Party have long campaigned for increasing Welsh language teaching, members of the Wales Somaliland community are urging the Welsh Government to include a GCSE in Somali language in the new Welsh curriculum. The community is writing to Education Minister Jeremy Miles to explain the importance of this to the 15,000 strong Somaliland community, saying it is important for young people to recognise and gain qualifications in their language and heritage. Community activist Ali Abdi said it was important that the large number of Somali pupils studying Welsh secondary schools learned their mother tongue and be recognised for their linguistic and cultural heritage. According to Mr Abdi, introducing a Somali GCSE aligns with the Welsh Government's commitment to diversity, equality and social justice. Finally, The BBC reports on research which has examined children's attitudes towards the monarchy. The outcome of the research suggests more support for the royals among state schools than in private ones. The study by King's College London found 66% of children in state schools aged 6-12 to had a positive view of the monarchy, compared with 56% in private. It also found higher levels of support among children than among teens and young adults. The findings were based on questions for 2,000 pupils across 200 schools. The findings on primary school children in England, Scotland and Wales were in stark contrast to the views of young adults, with a YouGov twice yearly poll showing only 27% of 18 to 24 year olds saw the monarchy as good for Britain. The researchers said the primary children responding to questions around the monarchy had said it made them feel happy excited or proud. Researchers could not explain the difference between state and private but suggested it could reflect higher levels of international pupils in the private school sample, meaning they could have less of a connection to the British royal family. Further details of the research and its findings as well as comparisons with other studies can be found on the BBC News website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox.
1: What a strange study. Because, sure, right, I'm sorry. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent. Um, Because I don't understand why you would, I don't understand the point of studying the attitudes of state schools and independent schools about the royal family, unless the point is to pit state schools and independent schools against each other um which happens all too often anyway i'm not quite sure i understand what what useful data comes out of that and and if the focus wasn't on the type of school but on attitudes towards children towards the royal family then i don't understand why they wouldn't do some kind of strata sampling where children of similar characteristics were uh, had their data compared because if you're turning around and saying well you know the the attitude in independent schools is probably due to the high number of international pupils you've got no comparison at all other than to say state schools are more favorable towards the royal family than independent schools are which i i don't understand the point of What a very strange study. I'd be interested, I think after the show, see, I've got no life. After the show, I'm going to spend my Saturday mid-morning looking up this study and finding out exactly what it was all about. Um, I love, I love Joe's news. I love the news segment um, because it gets me to think about all sorts of things that I wouldn't have thought about otherwise. Of course, as an MFL teacher, I have an opinion on the proposed introduction of a Somali GCSE into the Welsh curriculum. I think that's brilliant. I think it's really good. I do think in languages we have a slight issue of learners versus native speakers and the types of qualifications that both get. Um, and I think that in schools in general, there is an issue of, you know, do we enter our, um, our Chinese students, for example, for the GCSE in Chinese, um, because they can do that quite easily. Uh, the A-level of, um, you know, I say this because I, I used to teach the natives, uh, the Chinese natives, at my school. Um, the A-level is, is much different. It's much harder. It requires a very different set of skills. You actually, let's be honest, you cannot get an A-level in a foreign language just by being a native speaker of that language. Um, Well, I say that you can get a C and you can get a B just by being a native speaker. But if you want the A, if you want the A star, you actually have to do some studying. Um, You have to learn a film, you have to learn a book, you have to learn how to translate uh, between English and your native language and then your native language in English. You've got to make sure that your English skills are up to scratch. The the A level is is difficult. And so, you know, whenever we introduce a new language qualification, um, particularly a traditional qualification, a GCSE or an A-level, you have to say, okay, well, what about the native speakers? But if we have these heritage speakers, and perhaps if the Somali GCSE is aimed at heritage speakers um, or is aimed at native speakers, you know, in the same way that we have GCSE first language Chinese, GCSE first language Arabic, uh, then I think that can only be a good thing. I am all in favor of broadening curricula. I've always thought, you know, back when I was a naive teacher and, and I forgot that money existed in the world of teaching, I thought that if a child wants to learn something, they should be able to. You know, if in my school a child wants to do GCSE, Biblical or Hebrew, they should be able to because I can teach it. Of course, we know that that's not the reality of schools because funding is a thing. But I think the more opportunities children have to learn anything, the more opportunities we give children to pick up any kind of interest, any kind of new skill, um, the better. So, yeah, I am all for introducing heritage language GCSEs in the same way that you can get a GCSE in Polish. Um, You know, you can get... GCSE in, in Russian, if you come from a Russian-speaking family, there are all sorts of things that you can, you can get. And if Wales has a big um, Somaliland um, uh, diaspora, that's the word that I'm looking for, then absolutely those people should be able to access um, education in about for their heritage. And I think that's really cool. I'm really excited. I will be excited to see how that um, how that progresses, but it fits quite nicely, I think, with our topic today: personal and professional development. This idea of of being better, because I've realised um, over the past couple of years, I suppose, that that is for me a priority. That we should all be better. We should all strive to. Be the best people we can be. Um, that's what I want for myself. It's what I want for my pupils, and it's what I want for my colleagues. I want us all to be the very best teachers we can be. I want us all to be pursuing the types of career path that we want. Be that a management path, be that a staying in the classroom path. You know, whatever it is, I want us all to be able to to pursue that. And I think quite often the professional development uh, provision in school doesn't always properly equip us for it because, again, funding is tight. You know, the schools can't afford to send us all on every single course that we might want to do in order to improve our practice, to increase our career. Schools might not be able to justify sending you off to do a course if there is then the chance that you will take those skills off to another school. Obviously, nobody will ever say that that's the reason that funding is being denied, but you know, again, we've got to be realistic here. And so I think more often than not, as unfortunate as it is and is often the case in teaching, our personal and professional development is something that we need to take into our own hands. Now, again, I say this coming from a very privileged position in that I have very few outgoings. You know, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Um, and so basically, barring my, my cost of living, my salary is mine. And so I can afford to pay for my own courses. You know, I'm doing my doctorate in education that I am funding myself, um, because I've been able to save for it because I've been able to budget over the next few years to make sure that I can, I can afford my uni fees. So, you know, recognizing that I come from that position of privilege, but I also recognize that there is a whole host of stuff out there for free that we can do or that don't, um, that don't cost as much as a doctorate does. You know, we are very, very happy here to be sponsored by um, John Cat Publishing. And their books are very good value for money. And if you check out the Teachers Talk Radio Twitter, you will find that we have codes that can help you get savings, I believe, um, off of what is already a, a good value price. So, you know, there are all sorts of things that we can do. Ourselves, in order to be better, in order to improve. This, of course, is not to say that we are all rubbish. <laughs> this is not to say that we are all awful at our jobs. And so, you know, we have to get better because we are all letting our kids down. Um, because I do not believe for one moment that anybody walks into a classroom and goes, I am going to do the very worst job that I can do today. Um, This is just about us going, okay, I'm gonna recenter myself in my own career. I'm gonna figure out what is important to me and I am going to do everything I can to get there. So again, this is part two of this show. Part one was back at the beginning of January. If you haven't listened to that yet, please do go back and listen to that. We talk about um, all kinds of things to do with personal and professional development but today we're going to kind of pick up just where that show left off and show of hands who remembers when mindset was the buzzword in education it was not that long ago it wasn't that long ago although interestingly it was already being debunked as a theory when it came into the educational zeitgeist at least here in England Um, and I always find that hilarious that whenever we seem to latch onto a buzzword, whenever we latch onto a new theory, we always do seem to be a tiny bit late to the game. So I remember sitting in an inset um, with a man who was telling us all about mindset. He was telling us all about how great it was. Um, and I looked him up. And it turned out that he had already written two articles about why the mindset theory was flawed. And that was the moment where I decided that uh, CPD, uh, professional development, was where I wanted my path to go. Not so that I could make money um, spouting theories that I knew or that I believed not to be true, Um, but because I want to be on top of theory. And I want other teachers to be on top of theory. I don't want to be talking about mindset if that's something that is no longer something we should be talking about. Um, And I don't want to be a hypocrite. So that was kind of the moment that my, my career path was decided. But we're going to talk about mindset for a moment here because even though when we brought it in, Um, as a pedagogical theory we did massively oversimplify it as was brilliantly demonstrated by um, my school's chaplain in an assembly not long after we had this man come in where he was delivering the assembly on mindset and he had one of the pupils come to the front of the the hall um, and he asked whether the pupil had a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And the pupil responded, oh, I've got a growth mindset, you know, he gave the right answer. And so the chaplain said, okay, fantastic. You've got a growth mindset. You can do anything you set your mind to, yes? So the pupil said, yes. And he said, right, I would like you to fly around the hall, please. And the people just kind of looked at him. And he said, I want you to believe that you can fly and I want you to fly around the hall because that was essentially what we were telling our pupils they could do. Because if you say you can do anything, if you set your mind to it, that is far too easy to be taken literally, because that is what you are saying that if you believe you can fly around this hall, then you can fly around this hall. So we took what is actually an interesting idea and we, as, quite often happens we oversimplified it into something that that didn't make sense make sense and so it kind of came uh, fell out of fashion very very quickly because we were we were all saying this doesn't make sense but it's not the theory that's poor necessarily it was the implementation of it that's poor so let's just go back for a second to this idea of mindset, because I don't think anybody um, will argue that mindset is a thing. So Carol Dweck, who was the psychologist who um, we have all heard of, we've probably all read the books, um, she was the one who was really espousing this theory. She said, just because some people can do something with little or no training, it doesn't mean that others can't do it and sometimes do it even better with training. And for me, that's what mindset is supposed to boil down to. It's not supposed to be, oh, you can do everything. And it's not supposed to be, oh, If you just have a little more practice, obviously you can do it. The idea is that you don't put barriers in your way. You don't self-reject. It was a bit like I said on the show last week about, um, about the interview process. If you don't apply for a job, you're not going to get an interview for it. And if you don't get the interview for it, there is no way that you can have it. And so by not applying for jobs that you don't think you are qualified for, that you don't think you are at the right stage of your career for, you are self-rejecting. And for me, that's the point of mindset. I will never be an astronaut. I am in rubbish shape. I would never pass the um, the, 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 medical checks. Uh, you know, that's just not something that is, is, or ever will be on the cards for me. Could I exercise in order to get in shape? Yes. Will I? No. No, I will not. And I know that about myself. I know that about my mindset. And so I think where we simplified it down to, oh, yeah, you can do everything if you just try. We took away the fact that actually sometimes you just don't want to try. And sometimes you will try and you will still fail. And that's okay. So mindset is the attitude that we choose to adopt. And that attitude can be changed. It's about what we believe we are capable of achieving versus what we are capable of achieving within our uh our limitations which are going to be things like time and money and energy levels And there is this idea that people have either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Now, again, I think that that was a little bit oversimplified because I actually think most people have both. I think that most people, if we're honest about our own mindsets, I think most people have a growth mindset about things they already have an inkling that they can do. You know if let's say that you are a decent uh dancer you might say yeah okay with a little bit of training i could probably be an okay gymnast because i already know how my body works i already know how uh to to move myself to rhythm i've already got those basic skills Whereas if you are a decent dancer, you might say, oh, no, I will never be a great um, mathematician because the two domains are completely separate. So I I don't think that one person has a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. For me, everybody has both. But I do think it's important to be aware of that. And I do think it's important to um, to encourage your own growth mindset without wasting your time so people with a growth mindset if we go back to the binary people with a growth mindset believe that most things can be achieved through hard work practice and not giving up when things get difficult probably true probably true Uh, if we take something that i'm rubbish at, i can't draw i cannot draw um never been able to, have never been any good at it. Do I think that if I sat down with blank sketchbooks, a whole bunch of those, you know, how to draw books, enough sharpened pencils and hours on end to practice I could get better? Yes. Do I have the time and resources to do that? No do I have the inclination to do that? No. And the reason for that is I don't need to be able to draw. I would like to be able to draw. And the only reason I would like to be able to draw is that I would like, I would love to, um, publish a graphic novel. Um, it's no secret to those of you who listen regularly to the show. I like to write, you know, I've published textbooks and, and, um, resources and all sorts of things um i've even got some novels out there under a pen name um and i would love i would love to do a comic but it's not important enough to me to sit down and learn how to draw or at least what will come of it isn't important enough to me because I'm fairly certain having studied the comic book industry having you know knowing how difficult it is to get a comic book published I know that it would just sit in a sketchbook it wouldn't ever go anywhere and so this is one of those times where I'm just like I've got this dream I've got this thing that I would like to do but actually just the doing of it isn't worth the investment of time and I don't think that's a fixed mindset because I I don't think I am saying that I couldn't do it. I'm, I am saying, I'm aware that I'm saying that I couldn't sell the comic. And maybe that is a fixed mindset. I prefer to think of it as being realistic. Um, but I'm saying that it's something that, for me, is not worth my time. Whereas for other people, it might be. The idea is that people who have a growth mindset are able to achieve more because they have resilience. So actually it's not the mindset itself that is useful, it's the resilience that comes with it. It's the trying and failing that is the important part. And I think that's something that we can agree on. But that's something, again, that we didn't talk about with our kids. We told our kids that if you think you can do something, if you believe hard enough, you will be able to do it. We didn't actually take them through the process of, you're going to fail and that's a good thing. And of course, this is endemic in, um, in the UK school system. We don't like our kids to fail. A lot of that is because, let's be honest, if our kids fail, we feel like failures as the teacher because the teacher should help you to succeed. Now, I feel a bit uncomfortable saying that because I am all about setting kids up for success. This has become my new thing over the past couple of years. I used to believe, as I was trained, that if a child got 100% on a test, then the test wasn't hard enough. I've now come to realize that actually children should be getting 100% on the test because the test should be testing things that I taught them. And if I'm not testing things that I taught them, if I'm testing stuff that I haven't taught them, what's the point? So I do believe in setting our kids up for success, but I also believe in resilience. I also believe that failure does come And the only way that we learn to deal with it is by failing. You know, I joked at the top of the show about how maybe I had no right to talk to you all about interviews last week because I didn't get one of the jobs. But that's all right, because I failed at that process. And there will have been all kinds of reasons. And the reason they gave me was that they had a lot of candidates and a lot of them were better suited to that type of work than I was. And I will agree with that. You know, I will absolutely agree with that. So it's not a bad thing. Because what you do is you keep going. So again, growth mindset, mindset in general, isn't about if I believe something, I can do it. It's not magic. It's about this thing is important enough to me that I will keep going even if I get it wrong. It's about values, isn't it? It's about finding what is important. So think about what is important for you. This has become a bit of a theme on the show this year, I feel. This idea of values, of, of figuring out what you want, figure out what teaching, um, and if you're not a teacher, because of course I know that not everybody here on um, uh, who listens to Saturday Morning Breakfast, is a teacher, whatever industry you are in, why is it important to you? What do you want to do with it? And make sure that you orient yourself towards that. Make sure that every decision you make within your practice is about your values and how that helps the people that you are working with. So mindset's an interesting one, isn't it? Because your mindset will dictate the types of goals that you set yourself, the types of development that you undertake, the types of courses that you will go on. And none of that is bad because your mindset is to do with your values it's to do with what you place importance on and it's okay to think that some things are more important than others one thing that i was reading this week um i was reading somebody else's doctoral dissertation just trying to get my head around the the structure of of that type of writing and um this person said something really interesting Um, That I've long believed but haven't really thought to articulate which is that not all teachers need to be good at everything a school has to have teachers who are good so that the school is good at everything so you will have your own priorities be they academic pastoral um, social emotional maybe mental health is your your particular interest maybe your subject is the most important thing to you, maybe you are really interested in young child development and that's why you went into EYFS, you will have your own interests and your own values and and that's a good thing. Because you don't have to be interested in the whole spectrum that teaching encompasses. You don't have to be good at the whole spectrum that teaching encompasses. As long as you are doing your statutory duties in everything across the board, then you can be interested in what you're interested in. You can be good at what you're good at. And there is is nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. So let's think now, we'll move on from mindset a little bit. Now that we've unpicked mindset a little bit, let's think about transferable skills. Because transferable skills are one of the, most useful ways that you can develop, developing your transferable skills is one of the the best ways that you can spend your time because of that transferability. We are unfortunately seeing people leaving the teaching profession in droves. There are whole Facebook communities, Twitter lists, you know, dedicated to people who have left the classroom and are thriving. There are people coming from other industries and moving into teaching. No industry is an industry for life anymore. No job is a job for life anymore. I was talking to a friend of mine about this a couple of weeks ago about how it's, you know, for our parents, our grandparents, it was a case of you got a job when you left school and you were there until you retired. But these days, because we're working longer, you know, retirement keeps being um, pushed back. Entire companies are not guaranteed to continue to exist. That sort of, that sort of career mentality, mentality doesn't exist anymore. So developing our transferable skills is a very good use of time. So your transferable skills, we talked about this again on the show last week but just to, to go back over them, your transferable skills will include things like your personal motivation. So figure out what makes you tick. If you are not a very introspective person, if you are somebody who kind of lives by routine, you get up in the morning because you get up in the morning, you have your porridge for breakfast because you have porridge for breakfast, etc. figure out what it is that drives you. Because that will be the same of whatever you are doing, you know, whatever industry you are in, whatever hobby you are picking up, you know, your personal motivations are going to be the same. Your values are going to be the same. So be very conscious of what your values are, what your motivation is, and be very deliberate if you are looking for a new job, if you are picking up a new hobby, um, whatever it might be, in order to, um, to... Get the most out of it. Because it's kind of like I keep telling my sixth formers. In, in inverted commas, the real world, you don't have anybody constantly reminding you of when your deadlines are. You don't have anybody spoon feeding you the information that you need to pass your assignment. You just kind of get on with it. And it is that personal motivation that helps you to get on with it. Your organisation, your, your organisational skills are a transferable skill. How organised are you as a person? What does your classroom look like? Is it like mine, which is organised chaos? Although, to be fair, my classroom is only chaotic because I have far too much stuff. I look at my stuff and I just think I don't need any of this. But it seems to be whenever I put a whole bunch of papers into the recycling, um, two more spring up and take their place. I I seem to have Hydra-style paper piles. But think about your organizational skills, about your time management skills, because that's the type of organization. You know, As teachers, we have to be very careful of our time. We're very good at um, having an innate sense of when 45 minutes or an hour is over. We are very good at knowing how quickly we have to move from one task to another to another. Teamwork is a big one. Teamwork is very, very important. We live in a world where, now that you can't be a lighthouse keeper, which was always my dream job for a very long time. I thought it'd be great to just be on my own in a lighthouse. Um, But apparently they don't even exist anymore. It's all automated these days. So now that that's not a job, everything that we do requires, even, even if not being actively part of a team, working with, engaging with other people so think about your teamwork skills think about whether that is something you are good at whether that is something you need to work on because again that is transferable and your leadership skills now i find leadership really interesting because we seem to encourage everybody to go into leadership one of the things that i've noticed is as a core value in most schools um you know when i was looking uh, for things to apply to last week was this idea of training their pupils to be leaders and i often think we do that but we don't ever tell people how to be followers we are very very busy making sure that everybody can lead but if everybody leads then nobody follows So do think about your leadership skills because they are very important and you know everybody is supposed to be a leader and in fact this was something that was said in a lecture that I attended last year is that everybody in fact is a leader even if you don't have that in your title you know you are a role model you do suggest things in meetings whatever it might be but also think about your abilities as a follower are you open to other people's ideas are you open to helping other people to achieve their goals their ambitions what do you need in return if you do in fact need something in return for that because leadership skills are all very well and good and are again transferable but actually follower skills are more transferable and probably more useful in a world where everybody is being trained to be a leader. Let's think also, now that we thought about transferability, let's think about our hard and soft skills, because these are also things that we can work on. Because personal and professional development is not about, is not just about going out and getting a new qualification. It's not just about making that big leap to the next stage of your career. It can be about refining and perfecting these small things that are part of your personality. Your transferable skills, your hard skills, your soft skills. So your hard skills are those that are quantifiable, they are technical, and they are learned through some kind of education or vocational work. Hard skills are the ones that are in demand. They're the ones that are listed in job adverts. They're the ones that are in person specs. They're the ones that when people ask you, oh, what can you do, what are you good at, that you quite often list. So obviously, this is gonna come as no surprise to anybody, number one on my list is gonna be learn a foreign language. That's a hard skill and it is something that everybody can do. Some people find it more difficult than others. Some people have less motivation than others. But I do strongly believe that everybody has the potential to learn at least one foreign language. I wouldn't be a language teacher if I didn't believe that. But it is also incredibly useful. Um, There was a poll on um, LinkedIn this morning. I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, It came from the British Council. And I re What do you do on LinkedIn? Whatever the LinkedIn version of retweeted is, I did that. Um, And it was about... Oh, I can't find it now. Um, But it was about, you know having a foreign language is useful in all kinds of professions and it was something like 70% of people agreed with that statement so you know having a foreign language is not just about being an MFL teacher it's not just about being an interpreter being a translator it's a hard skill it's a transferable skill Somebody uh, on YouTube this week was complaining because the job website that they had signed up for was suggesting them all of these jobs to do, Uh, you know, telesales, work from home type things. And every single one of them said, must be fluent in French, must be fluent in German. So, fluency in a foreign language. You know, very important, a hard skill, a transferable skill. Coding is a hard skill. Now, again, there was something that I saw this week about how um, we shouldn't teach children to code because coding changes so quickly that whatever our kids, let's say our year sevens, whatever they're learning in coding won't exist by the time they get out into the job market. Now, as somebody who knows nothing about code, I will believe that. But I I think surely if they have learned the theory behind coding, if they've learned why it's important, then they can go out and learn whatever new code it is that they need to learn. It's the same as foreign language learning. If you've learned French, but maybe you didn't go on with it, then later on you can learn Italian or Spanish or Romanian or, you know, whatever it might be, because you have got that core that foundation. So is there a hard skill that you want to pick up? Is there a hard skill that you had that you've let lapse and maybe you want to, to, um, uh, to, to pick up again? So this is where the CPD courses, this is where the training comes in. Because remember the hard skills are the quantifiable technical ones that you need some kind of teaching in. And there are all sorts of online platforms these days where you can learn hard skills for free. If you don't want to, to pay for a course, if you don't want to pay for a textbook, you know, you can go to all sorts of places to pick these hard skills up for free. All it requires is the time investment. Then there are the soft skills. The soft skills are the employability skills. They are the attitudes that enable you to get along with other people, to facilitate decision-making, to solve problems, to um, encourage respect, and to become an ambassador for an organization. Now that last one is quite controversial at the moment. I saw something earlier in the week where a poll was sent out this wasn't in education Um, it was in manufacturing a poll was sent out to workers that said how comfortable would you be posting about our products on your own social media and i think many industries and many jobs these days begin to blur the lines between personal and professional between what is work and what is home so I think ambassadorship is an interesting one now in teaching standards of course we have part two which is all about our public comportment, because we are ambassadors for the profession even if not for our individual school um but I think the idea of ambassadorship is a little bit contentious so we'll ignore that for now and we will just focus on getting along with people decision making problem solving um, respectful attitudes, those are the soft skills. So if you have good interpersonal and communication skills you can participate effectively as a team. You don't need to like everybody in your team, you just need to professionally get on with them. You can satisfy customer expectations, you complicate customers, you complicate children, you complicate parents, you can negotiate you can make decisions. You can manage your own time effectively. And we know how important initiative is. You can take responsibility. You can work effectively with others. So soft skills are those, those personal, interpersonal, intrapersonal skills that are a little bit harder to develop than the hard skills. Let's be honest, because there are very few places where you can go on a course to learn about getting on with other people. But this is quite often where the internal reflection and the self-help books, ironically, can come into play. Because you can think about what you find difficult. Do you find it difficult to empathize with other people? Do you find it difficult to bite your tongue when somebody says something you? don't agree with and then you can go and find the books, find the resources, find the psychology articles, whatever it might be that helps to explain those things and and to work on them. Soft skills are interesting though because quite often people will use the negative version of the soft skill and sell it as a positive. You know I was joking with my mum earlier in the week that nobody talks about how they tell it like it is anymore. That seems to be the seemed to be everywhere a few years ago, uh, particularly on like, daytime TV, where people were just like, yep, I, I'm a strong person, I tell it like it is. What they actually meant is that they were rude, but they were framing that negative as a positive Instead of kind of working on it and thinking, okay, I believe that my voice is important. I'm going to share my opinion, but I'm going to do it in a way that is nice. I'm going to do it in a way that is constructive. I'm going to do it in a way that is positive. And again, I think judging your own soft skills is harder than judging your own hard skills. Because I think, again, we all generally think that we are decent people we all generally think that we get on well with others. Um, (laughs) Tim has texted in, good morning to you. He has pointed out that he hates that expression and also keeping it real. Keeping it real is, yeah, is another very annoying one um, because it depends on what you think is real. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Um, But yeah, I I think getting a handle on your own soft skills can be quite difficult. So that might be something where you have conversations with with other people um, to kind of figure out what you can work on. Knowing and being able to verbalize your own strengths and weaknesses is another good skill for us all to have. And it's a good way to figure out what your personal and professional development is going to look like exploring your strengths lets you understand what skills and experience you already have what you can already do well and what other people think are your strengths because what other people think you can do well is not necessarily the same as what you think you can do well and actually if you talk to other people about where your strengths lie it can give you things to talk about, again, in in a job interview, in any way that you're trying to sell yourself, that you might not have thought about before. Because they might just be things that come naturally to you that, that you assume everybody can do, but are in fact unique to you. And it can be really weird to sit down with somebody and say, right, please tell me what you think I'm good at. But I think if you are up, for example, for performance management review, quite often the um, the, the focus is on what you can do to improve. But there would be absolutely nothing wrong with you turning to a line manager, your observer, whoever it was, and saying, OK, please tell me what you think I was good at to help you to 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 cement that. And also to not waste your time developing it. It's like we say to our um, year 11s, our year 13s, don't spend too much time revising the stuff that you already know. You're going to do that because it's going to make you feel better about yourself, but it's not going to help you to improve. So if you know what your strengths are, then you know that you have to put some time into maintaining those things, but not necessarily into improving them. Exploring your weaknesses tells you what areas you have to develop, whether you have some kind of lack of experience that might be needed for a long-term career in which case you can go and have that experience, what things you do that should be avoided, and of course whether or not you agree because just because somebody else thinks that you should improve something doesn't necessarily mean that you have to. One of the things um, that I was told by a publisher was to never go and read the reviews of your own books because you cannot control the, um, the response of your audience, you Cannot write a book that is going to please everybody all of the time. So as long as you are happy with it, as long as you're okay with the product that you've put out, as long as you've achieved your objectives, then you kind of have to let it go. So seek feedback on where you can improve. But remember that not all feedback is valid. Not all feedback is necessary. Not all feedback is true and i think again knowing what your strengths are can help you to filter out what you take on as your weaknesses and your area for improvement because if somebody tell if two people tell you that something is a strength and one person tells you that it's a weakness it is more likely that that's a strength that the 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 third person didn't perceive so I think working on your strengths and weaknesses, they need to come together. They need to work in tandem. Do a SWOT analysis. And I think this, again, is a good time to do one. Check in with yourself. So a SWOT analysis, in case you're not sure, I will, I'll, if I remember, I will tweet out a, a, a picture after the show to, to help anybody who can't visualize what I'm about to try and explain. But essentially, SWOT stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. So what I want you to do is imagine a square, okay, that is cut into four sections. The top left is your strengths box. Top right, your weaknesses. Bottom left, your opportunities. And bottom right, your threats. Okay, now your strengths, so that's our top left box, they are internal and they are positive. They are things that you can control because you can work on them. You know, they are your hard skills. They are the things that you are learning. They are the the level two class that you're taking because you've just finished level one class. Your weaknesses are internal because they are something you can control but they are negative so they are things that you can improve on if you want to if you think they are worth improving then we come down to the bottom left your opportunities they are positive but they are external you don't control your opportunities you can seek them you can attempt to create them, but more often than not, they are gonna come from somebody else. And then your threats, so that bottom right box, they are external and they are negative. You do not control them and they do not have a good impact on you. So if you do a SWOT analysis and kind of in each box you list, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, what's your opportunities and what are your threats? that's where you can see what you need to work on. And you don't need to do a SWOT analysis of your entire life. You can do an analysis for different areas. So in my career, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, these are my opportunities, these are my threats. In my relationship with my parents, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, these are my opportunities, these are my threats. In um, dealing with the builder because we're having a house refurb, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, these are my opportunities, these are my threats. And, and following the kind of SWOT method gives you a nice visual way of figuring out what it is you need to work on, what it is you want to work on, where you want to put that energy, where you want to put your mindset, and what it is you can control. Because again, we can't control everything We only control how we respond to things. And I think doing a SWOT analysis will quite often help you to figure out whether your response to different things that you are controlling um, is proportional. Set up for yourself a planning and reviewing cycle. Now, this is going to sound a bit corporate. Um, and your school might already have one in place and they explained that to you at INSERT and you rolled your eyes because it's yet another thing to do. But actually reframe that, reframe that mindset not to be my planning and reviewing cycle is a box ticking exercise for when Ofsted comes in and my school says that they can offer CPD. But it's about actually taking the opportunity to get better. To improve. So identify the area that you want to develop and how you frame that is up to you. If you are comfortable in your workplace saying, I don't think I'm very good at behavior management, then state it that way. If you're not comfortable in your workplace saying that, if you feel like things need to be framed positively, if you think that that could be taken the wrong way, then frame it in a way that looks like progression so it can stop being i'm not very good at behavior management and can start being i would like to be a behavior management lead then you plan your development needs so what is it you need in order to meet that objective then your action development what do you need to do Because it's all very well and good knowing that you need to do something. But you actually need to sit down and figure out what it is to do. Do those things. (laughs) Because again, it's all very well and good knowing that you need to do something. But unless you actually do it, it doesn't matter. Then reflect on what you have done. Reflect on whether it was useful. If it wasn't useful, be honest and say so. Um, Our deputy head academic put it really nicely he was like if you've been on a course and it was useless tell us so that we don't spend the money sending somebody else on that course i think it's really useful for you as an individual and for your organisation to be very honest about the outcomes of the development that you have done if you have if you were not able to do what was on your list of action development because um your youngest got chicken pox and so you know you weren't able to put the time and energy into it be honest about that because then when it comes back round to identify areas to develop you can either say yeah okay I want to try that again or actually I've moved on now. I've realized something else is important to me so I'm gonna leave that goal behind. That that cycle of planning and reviewing is is really important because if you don't make plans nothing's going to happen and if you don't review what you've done you're not going to know whether it's had an impact you're not going to know whether you have improved they the the planning and reviewing cycle provides the opportunity for self-reflection it makes sure that your goals are put into place it can encourage other people to support you so for example your manager your line manager should be there as a point of support and it can make sure that you keep up to date with uh, industry standards with new opportun- excuse me with new opportunities so if you are constantly seeking improvement then you are constantly looking at what is out there you are constantly trying to find new things to do so i think that's kind of brought us up to that. that certainly brought us to the end of my powerpoint about why personal and professional development is important that was kind of covered back in um in the first session in the in the first show uh of this duology and kind of what you can do what you should be doing in my opinion in order to develop both personally and professionally it is, in my opinion, really important, particularly in the industry that we're in, um, because again, this isn't a job that you go into just for the salary. Because there is too much to do, and there are too there is too big an emotional investment, too big a time investment. It's very easy in teaching, it's very easy in lots of professions to get burned out because you are not getting back what you're putting in. But quite often, the the truth of it is we have to find things to take back. Because the people that we would hope are looking out for us, our our managers, our senior leaders, our head teachers, they are also doing their own jobs. And they are also, you know, teaching, managing the classrooms, looking at their own development. And so I think if you can take responsibility for your own, and you can go, right, this is what I need. If you can go with a very clear plan this is what I want to achieve in this time frame. This is what I'm going to do for it. This is what I need my organization to do. Are you willing to help me? Are you willing to send me on the training? Are you willing to um, give me a, a a half day in the summer term so that I can um, work on this reflection cycle? you know whatever it might be. Your organization will say either yes or no, but either way, they will be very grateful that you went to them knowing what you wanted and knowing what you needed them to do. One of the mistakes that I make, and I still make it in, in my career, is knowing what I want to do, knowing what I need, but not actually articulating that very well. And I think that can be very frustrating both for me and for my school Um, because it turns out that I do need something and I thought I could provide it myself and I then couldn't. And so I asked for it. Whereas if I just asked for it in the beginning, it would have been much more feasible. It would have been much easier. So I think... Personal and professional development is all about clarity, and it's all about being deliberate. It's about deliberate practice, to bring in another buzzword from a few years ago. It's about knowing what you want, understanding that that changes over time. So this isn't a case of, okay, Darren says in 2024, I've got to work on my uh personal development so that's what i'm going to do and then from 2025 onwards i'm free to do whatever i want because it is a constantly changing thing what i want out of my career now is nowhere near the same thing that i wanted out of my career during covid which was completely different to what i wanted out of my career before covid which is completely different to what i wanted out of my career when i started teaching and i think again going through that reflection cycle being very clear about what you want will help you to get there. And it will also help you to, to make the changes that are right for you.
2: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order don't miss out visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today happy reading
3: introducing eton x from eton college a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel other popular courses include verbal communication critical thinking writing skills resilience creative problem solving and many more offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free visit eatonx.com to find out more
1: one last thing before we go today um and that is if you do take the reading route for your personal development if you choose not to go on a course not to take um an online course but instead to go and and, you know buy the textbooks read the the academic articles read the research don't just read them but write about them don't just sit there with a textbook about middle leadership read it close it and then be like right okay i'm ready to be a middle leader now actively engage with it Ask it questions, okay? Write down in the margins if you don't mind annotating a book and providing you've not borrowed it from the library or get a notebook and make annotations in there. You know, if you're anything like me, then that'll be a lovely excuse to buy an expensive new notebook that you then won't use because it'll be be too pretty. Um, Post-it notes. Did you know that you can get transparent sticky notes? Learning that was like, it changed my life because you can take some transparent sticky notes you can put them on the pages and you can underline highlight annotate the sticky note and it looks like you've annotated the book okay ask questions note down other things that you need to go to other books that you need to go to other online sources to look up to check write down when things don't make sense Because quite often if something doesn't make sense to you, it's because you're seeing it in a way that is different to how the author is seeing it. It's not because you're wrong, and it's not because the author is wrong, it's because the two viewpoints are different. And maybe you have discovered a little niche that you can carve out for yourself. So when you are studying, and again, we say this to our pupils all the time, but I think quite often we forget about this um, when it comes to our own development if you are going for the book route if you are going for the the articles don't just read them but engage with them have a conversation with them because that's how you learn you don't learn just by sitting and reading if you did then we wouldn't do all of those courses about engagement and gamification and all of that sort of thing. And if it applies to our pupils, it applies to us. So think about the connections that you are making between whatever it is that you are studying and actively engage with it because that's how you're going to learn. That is it from Saturday morning breakfast this week. Um, I hope that you have been able to take something out of the show. I know that as always, I have quite often reveals to me what a hypocrite I am because I sit here telling you to do all of these good things and and very rarely do I do them myself, but I'm going to start. I am going to start. I'm no longer going to be a do-as-I-say-and-not-as-I-do type teacher. I'm going to put my own things into practice. And maybe in a few weeks' time, we will check in again on our personal and professional development and see uh, see where we are. If you are just starting half-term, Um, congratulations. I hope you have a good week. If, like me, you have come to the end of your half-term, don't worry. It's not very long until the Easter holidays now. Have yourselves a great rest of the weekend, and I will see you bright and early, 9am next Saturday morning. Thank you very
0: much, and goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio,